When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to this special episode of Our Shelves. I'm Sarah Sabat, publisher of Virago, and today I'm turning the tables on Lucy, who is the host of Our Shelves, and I'm going to interview her about some of her highlights from season one. Welcome, Lucy. Thanks so much for joining us. It's almost Christmas. I know you've probably got lots to do. No, it's lovely to be here and a bit strange being on the other side of it, but I'm looking forward to being asked some questions rather than doing the asking. Good. I was just saying to Lucy that I've been enjoying her fluent interviewing so much, so I feel a bit nervous about interviewing her. Um, <laughs> Not at all. Yeah. I think you'll be great. <laughs> um, but yeah, we thought this would be a nice moment just to look back on season one, which we just finished recording, and um, hopefully what your appetite for season two, which we'll start releasing after Christmas. So, Lucy, um, without wanting to ask you to to pick favourites exactly, um, <laughs> could you tell us a couple of your um, highlights from recording season one? Yeah, this is such a tough question in one way, because uh, like you said, I don't want to pick out particular people. What I will say to start with, though, is that actually every single person we've um, we've had on the show, everyone I've interviewed has been kind of exciting or fascinating in a, in a way that I wasn't expecting. So I could really choose a highlight of each episode if we had the time, but that's quite dull. I mean, obviously, I think um, for someone like me, the chance to sit down and interview Margaret Atwood for, you know, a best part of an hour to chat to her about all these wonderful things, that's got to be a bit of a career highlight in general. So she's definitely up there. And personally, um, I am a huge fan of Sigrid Nunes. Um, So when I knew that she was coming on the show, that was brilliant. Um, I think for two reasons, though, I mean... (sighs) I don't know, when you love someone's books, you sort of feel like you know them already from their writing. You have a very intimate, or I end up feeling I have quite an intimate relationship with writers that I read very regularly, um, or I've read a lot of their work, and I sort of feel like I get a sense of the person they might be. So when it comes to someone like Nunez, who I'd read all her works, I, I, I loved them. I was so looking forward to having the chance to chat to her because I just imagined it would be almost like, you know, living in one of her novels to a certain extent. Um, but there's also an element of trepidation because at the same time, you don't really want your... Um, you're really worried and that these people might disappoint you in real life. And I don't mean that they, you know, they, they don't owe you anything. So an author, they put down what they want on the page and that's what you want to take from it. But then when you end up meeting them and talking to them, you know, you have high expectations. 
Um, so Sigrid, I had very high expectations for, and she completely delivered on every level. I had a wonderful conversation with her, uh, which was definitely um, a highlight for me. But I think, you know, everyone was so much fun. There were a couple of sort of um, couple of episodes in the middle with Irena Silicoji and Liv Little. They were unexpectedly um, exciting for me. I think we... I don't know. I think I'd never met either of those before and it was the first time I was chatting to them and they both had really sort of insightful, interesting things to say. I remember Renison recommended a lovely piece about hummingbirds in Trinidad, which I never would have read otherwise. Um, and she and I, I think, had a really good conversation about um, Bushia Machita, one of her favourite authors who I'm also a big fan of. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. There's just I could go on. I'm going to bore listeners with just, you know, recapping. But so much of it has been exciting and, and really good. Thank you so much. The, what you picked out were actually some of my favorite moments too. And because um, ah. I, I, I joined for the uh, very just first few minutes for the Atwood um, conversation, just so that we could all check that the tech was working and everything. Yeah, that was and, so nice. Yeah, yeah. And that <laughs> I have to say, meeting of us all. Yeah, exactly. And actually, just there was something about having. I mean, I've met Margaret Atwood before, but having her. I mean, not really, but sort of in my house because mm. we, you know, we were doing this working from home. There was something really amazing, also about see, yeah, being able to see into her house. And um, yeah, I'm I'm lucky enough to be Secrets editor, and yeah, I think I had a similar feeling of trepidation when I first met her because I, the first book of hers I read was The Friend, and then I, like you, I just kind of ripped through her entire backlist, and yeah. so I I went to meet her just with all of her characters, and I mean, as you talk about in the podcast she has there's maybe four or five of her books which have this very particular very intimate voice and you right and it does sound like her you know you think that's going to be her that she's the one talking and obviously you don't want to just assume that but it it feels so much like her yeah absolutely and my highlight from that um uh, that podcast was the two of you talking about animals in fiction and <laughs> which I know you're you're not an animal person whereas Secret, <laughs> Secret is and so am I <laughs> um, but I, I love that you responded to that despite not being an animal person and and her descri- her description of the difference between having a badger with an apron and <laughs> you know in a children's book and a, and a kind of more adult um, animal in, in fiction I thought was yeah was, was really, really wonderful. Well she's so good about that I think that's so true that I, I mean I'm not an animal person if you said to me read a book about a man who inherits a great Dane and has to look after it sorry woman I'd just be thinking I, that's not the kind of book I want to read at all and then along comes this novel and it's just brilliant and it speaks to me as a non-animal lover you know I, mean, I don't hate animals let's not, not get this wrong but you know I don't I don't have any particular affinity with them so she's just an astonishing writer I think. Yeah, and uh, also Iranison was um, an episode that, yeah, particularly struck me because I knew, um, I sort of felt like you were already, although you hadn't interviewed her before, like you and Sigrid were sort of friends and that you'd already read all of her novels and you were at least friends with her <laughs> writing voice. But with Iranison, I felt like, yeah, it felt like uh, I was sort of watching two people like, you know, meet at a friend's party and just like totally hit it off. And it was, yeah, and like the, both of you just have such incredible depth and like interesting range in terms of your reading tastes and yeah as you said like some of it overlapped and some of it didn't and it was really yeah a joy to hear you guys recommend things to each other so oh well thank um, you I'm glad you enjoyed that they were I mean like I say they've all been they've all been surprising and interesting in different ways and often in ways that I thought or I hadn't anticipated let's say that I you know because I think with certain authors I had read a lot of their work prior to this other people hadn't written so much and so 
my own sense of what they would be like uh, is sort of challenged each time, but everyone brought something sort of new and unexpected to it, much more so than the things I thought would be. And often the things that I thought we'd spend more time talking about, we didn't, we talked about other things. So, you know, that's been great. Yeah, I thought it was, um, it, I felt better about my TV viewing consumption because lots of people want to talk about TV <laughs> as well as books, which is great. So it's been a year for TV, obviously. Well, um, exactly. We've all been watching <laughs> loads of TV. Well, I mean, I've been watching loads of telly, so yeah. <laughs> um, so kind of following on from that, um, one thing I was going to, ask about was that you you ask authors um in each episode to about books that they recommend to other people and um and I wondered if there were any books that you have read or at least bought um on the back of conversations from our shelves. Oh my god so many it's been really fascinating actually that, that I've come away with such a long list of things I want to read and it's sort of um that's going to be my Christmas project I think more than anything else is catching up with some of these books I mean I, I, off the top of my head I think uh, Linda Grant recommended um Vasily Grossman's Life and Fate which is such a doorstop I don't know if I can read anything else if I start that but it's one of those books that you know I had been meaning to read for a while and she was so eloquent about talking about how good it was and I also like the fact that she really challenged the idea that you know there'd be a novel that you would even recommend to somebody in the first place so uh, this novel you know she said if she had to this would be the one that, that she wanted to so that's definitely something I'm going to be reading soon um Milkman by Anna Burns which is another one which I'm sort of mortified that I haven't read yet it just you know obviously it was on my radar won the Booker Prize but just so happens you know these things slip through and it's been there for a while and it's not as if I haven't heard people talk about how great it is I, I'm sure it's a brilliant book but um, when I spoke to uh, Malato Uchiokore about it, she was so passionate. And her passion for that book, I mean, like I say, I've heard people talk about how brilliant it is, but I haven't actually talked to, heard anyone talk so passionately about it and the way that she loved the language and it just sort of got into her bones. And so that has made me definitely want to pick that up um, over Christmas. And then um, I think uh, Aminati So, she recommended a book by Gloria Naylor called Mama Day. And I'd never even really heard of Gloria Naylor before. So I definitely want to try some of her work. Um, and then the ones I think that I have read so far are, I don't know, Margaret Atwood recommended um, Marilyn French's sort of long historical epic uh, about the history of women. But actually, seeing her recommend that sent me um, to read Marilyn French's novel, The Women's Room, for the first time, which again is something that has been on my shelf and, you know, I should have read years ago, an absolute feminist classic. And so I really enjoyed that. It was slightly odd and a bit of a strange novel. It sort of seemed like it was maybe two, three novels sort of pushed into one, but fascinating on the history. And some bits of it I just was, you know, completely, um, uh, completely enraptured by. Uh, and also, again, another link with Margaret Atwood that I'd read some of um, Svetlana Alexievich's um, brilliant oral histories before her book on Chernobyl, Chernobyl Prayer, just blew me away, I think, when I first read that last last year, it must have been. Um, I don't think I've come across anything like that. And uh, Margaret Atwood recommended uh, reading The Unwomanly Face of War by Alexievich. So it gave me the excuse to go and read that. Again, it had been on my shelf, but I hadn't got around to it yet. And that's just brilliant. I mean, testimonies of women, Russian women who um, fought in the Second World War and often didn't talk about their experiences. And I mean, absolutely grueling. And it was a brilliant pick, I thought, as well, for a choice about feminism. I think it was a question about, you know, name a book that... Uh, name a book about that made you think differently about feminism and I think Atwood chose the um, Svetlana Aleksevich and it's perfect for that because it really makes you sort of rethink 
you know, I like to think I have very modern ideas about femininity, about what it means to be a woman. But reading some of these women's accounts of what they went through during the Second World War, the sort of not just the hardships, but, you know, the fighting um, amongst men and sort of this idea of sort of gender, like you had to sort of get rid of your gender for the, for the time being. I don't, it really made me think very differently about um, the sort of more, I suppose, the sort of more glorified or, yeah, the sort of the very golden glow idea of sort of, you know, fighting for your country and patriotism and things like that. So, yeah, those were those were my highlights, I think, in terms of to read from these recommendations. Brilliant. Thank you. And yeah, I agree. Malati was, she's so passionate about everything. And yeah, every, every, she, you sort of immediately just want to, yeah, go out and follow, follow her orders, I think. So, um, yeah, actually, the, I haven't read, um, uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to mispronounce your name. But Lana, can you help me out, Lucy? I think it's Alexievich. Yeah. Alexievich. Svetlana Alexievich. Okay. Svetlana Alexievich. So I haven't read her yet. Um, although my dad has recommended her. Uh, so yeah, I've got her on the shelf. But um, when you were speaking, I was just thinking, I'm just reading The Shadow King, which is, yeah, obviously also about women soldiers. And Oh, really? Uh, and it's so, yeah, it's so rare that you, that you read about that. So um I haven't read The Shadow King yet. Should I? I clearly should, shouldn't I? I haven't actually. Um, I, I've I've just started reading it for my book club, actually. So okay. I haven't actually got to the war bit. But um, I, yeah, people I know who read it said that that was again, yeah, one of the kind of incredible things about it was that that reality. And it's you know, it's all based on research and mm. um, yeah, reality. So um, that's great. And. Um, was there anything else? I mean, you just mentioned Renison uh, recommended that wonderful piece about hummingbirds, and because um, yes. we, you also, this podcast is not just about reading, but also about you know people's cultural worlds and whether it's you know music or essays or TV or movies or music that people are drawing on. Um, was there anything else that you've uh, picked up or rewatched or? Afterwards? I think I'm trying to think. Do you know? Um, I can't remember who who it was. I think it was Liv Little. She um, recommended, or she said that she'd been watching a lot of This Is Us, an American TV show, which I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with, as in I was watching it um, until, I don't know, maybe earlier on in the, it must have been last year. This year feels so strange, you know, it's really hard to work out timings, but I think it must have been last year where I was, I'd been watching a lot of it. Um, and I got to the point of complete saturation and couldn't bear the idea of watching any more. But actually, weirdly enough, ever since she started talking about it, and and I think we had very different reactions. That I, even though I watched it, I found it sort of horrendous on so many levels. I did, I don't know, sort of not hate watching exactly, but I wasn't. I I always found problems with it. Whereas talking to her, she said she just loved it, and she really loved you know the the depiction of the family that I often found quite sentimental and things like that and actually ever since she said she'd been watching it and and loving it I started rethinking it and I thought well it is very popular and obviously there's something else going on there maybe I should go back and watch the latest season um, and see if I have had enough time off to enjoy it again so I think that's a sort of tv pick um, that I remember and also um, I think Linda Linda Grant and I had quite an interesting conversation about um, Miss America is that right Mrs America sorry about Mrs America mm. um we had a very interesting conversation about, a conversation about that which I know she had enjoyed greatly and I was watching at the time um and I did really enjoy it I thought it was a I thought it was a you know a great show in lots of ways and I loved the 
the history of um, the women's movement and what they were doing. But I must admit that since we had that conversation, I have read some quite interesting pieces that really did take issue with some of the ways that it presented um, uh, Phyllis Schaefer, uh, Schaefer, Schaefer, um and, and some of the kind of problematic way of sort of making her the heroine of the story, considering how problematic her politics really were. I mean, obviously they're presented as problematic in the show, but um, how I think how bigoted she was and, and how you know, she actually caused a lot of problems for a lot of people. I mean, that's putting it mildly. And so that sort of made me go back, rethink, rethink my, rethink a little bit about what I really thought about it or what I should have taken from it. Um, so I, you know, I still very much enjoyed it, but I, I like the idea. I think with all these things, it's always good to be sort of challenged as well. And to think that just because you like something and then to see another point of view about it, and maybe it's not all perfect or, or it's better than you thought it was, you know, I like to be, I like to have my opinion changed if possible, let's say. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I think that that often comes through, through conversation. Um, uh, I'm, I'll ask you to send me those pieces because I, I love Mrs. America, but I, and I guess I thought the, like the centering of Phyllis Schlafly was, just, you know, a like interesting narrative yes. device, but, but I can see actually, yeah. And they do, I mean, they do go into her racism and, um, but yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. It's, it's also real life. Yeah. So I'll, send you, I'll, I'll find the piece and send it to you. It was really interesting. And I'm, I sort of, I'm sorry, I haven't got, um, the name of it to hand now um, I, I should have looked it up beforehand but um I think yes it was just it was sort of pointing out that you know the problem is that there were moments in that show that did make you think you know your sympathy was with her and 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 that actually that that in itself is it's a dangerous route to go down I think that's the kind of problem mm. with it um so in a way I think I should probably go back and re-watch it now I've read the piece and it might change my impressions of what's going on. You know, that said, but, you know, I loved all the other stories in Miss America, Mrs. America, Miss America, in Mrs. America, you know, there were so many brilliant characters and it made me want to go away and read more about these women's lives, you know, fill in the gaps of the bits that I didn't know. So that was great. And Linda Grant was so effusive about it and obviously had, you know, got so much out of it as well. I think that's the other thing that a lot of, I think what I found about doing a lot of these interviews is that, um, even if I was a bit lukewarm about something or not sure if somebody is effusive enough about it, if they're passionate enough about it, it does change your perspective slightly. And you think, well, I might give that another go, or I might think of, you know, reading something, watching something that I, I wouldn't normally. So. Definitely. Yeah. It's word of mouth. Exactly. Our shells will be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Our Shelves. So finally, I was going to ask um, if there were any books coming from Virago next year that you were particularly looking forward to. And obviously, uh, some of these might be authors that we have on season two. Uh, <laughs> it's hoping. Fingers yeah. crossed. Fingers crossed. Um, some of them. Well, you've, yeah, you've got a great list coming up next year. So I'm a bit spoiled for choice really um but i think one in particular that a, a non-fiction title you've got coming out quite early in the year the secret life of dorothy soames about the foundling hospital oh you have a copy right there lovely <laughs> proof copy yeah <laughs> i'm so interested in this story because it's um by justine is it cowan cohen how do you cowan uh justine cowan and 
I love these sorts of books that um, tell a nar- you know narrative nonfiction basically. So she's telling the story of her. I think it's her mother, isn't it? Her mother who was a foundling at the Foundling Hospital in London, and she's piecing together the history of the hospital, her mother's history. Um, and this just looks so brilliant and so fascinating. And the founding hospital, I used to live around the corner from it. So, I mean, I've only been, I think I only went once to see an exhibition, but it's a lovely museum. And so, I don't know, and such an interesting part of um, London history as well. There is a Jacqueline Wilson uh, story for children that's set in the foundling hospital. And it's a historical thing. And my niece, who is uh, seven or just turned eight, I should know that. Anyway, my niece was really into Victorian um, schools, playing Victorian schools and all sorts of Victoriana a couple of summers ago. And so I bought her that and she loved it. And I remember reading bits of it to her and I found it so interesting learning about the Foundling Hospital. So I love the idea of there being a sort of adult version of that (laughs) that I can read next year. Um, So that's the first thing I'm I'm really excited about. I also like the sound of um, you've got a novel coming out. I think it's a sort of a literary uh, thriller. Surrogate by Susan uh, Spindler. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds really good. I was a big fan of Lullaby, um, Leila Slimani's book, like most people. And this sounds, and also there's been such a wonderful, um, there's been some really interesting books about motherhood, I think, literary fiction uh, in, in the last few years, people exploring lots of different angles. But I haven't read anything that does deal with surrogacy yet. So this sounds like it sort of ticks, a, you know, a, a kind of a box that hasn't been um, a topic that hasn't really been discussed in fiction, but I think that sounds great. Um, and I have to put a Virago modern classic in there because I love the, the modern classic list. And I think next summer um, there's another Anne uh, Petrie book being added to the list, The Narrows, which I haven't read, and I'm really looking forward to getting my copy of that uh, because I love the street, and she's a brilliant, amazing sort of you know. Um, an amazing author and not very well known, I think, in this country compared to like America, for example, where she's much more popular, obviously, as an American writer. But that should be wonderful. Yeah, I haven't read that yet either, actually. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, yeah, I think she, um, like she's, yeah, becoming better, better known. But yeah, she was the first black woman in America to sell over a million copies of the streets, so, which is quite, you know, I feel like She's someone that we should all, yeah, we should all know. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, She's brilliant. And you guys published as a Raga Modern Classic, The Street, last year. So it's kind of... Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. this is a kind of a brilliant follow-up to that. So I'm hoping, yeah, that people will kind of be, fast, you know, that she'll get a lot more readers over here, including myself, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, and th- thank you for the two other books you picked out are some of, um, I mean, I would never want to choose favourites either, but yeah, two, <laughs> two of my highlights for next year. And um, yeah, Susan Spindler, um, yeah, Surrogate is, it, yeah, it's definitely for yeah anyone who loved Lullaby or, or okay. Apple Tree Yard. It's, you know, one of those thrillers that's just a total patient, but actually underneath it's asking quite complicated questions about, yeah, taboo subjects. Um and yeah, the Dorothy Soames book about Founding um, Hospital is just incredible. And um, my my boyfriend actually used to live around the corner from the Family Museum. So, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So, so I w- walked by there all the time. And when I got this submission in, I thought, wait, hang on. How is this author alive and her mother was a foundling? Because I sort of, I guess in my head, obviously I hadn't paid attention when I'd gone to the museum. In my head, it had kind of shut down in like 1850, but actually it turns yeah. out that yeah, it didn't shut down until until after the Second World War. Um, and yeah, it's, as you say, it's for me, it, um, it kind of, I mean, actually, I think I read the Laura Cumming 
after I, I read Dorothy Soames, but the On Chapel Sands, the Laura Cummings, it sort of hit a similar uh, note for me in that it's, yeah, it's, it's a personal story, but it's also asking wider questions and it, um, it's a history of a, yeah, place and an institution. And um, actually, I just started watching The Queen's Gambit this weekend and, um, yeah, which is also about a, um, a very unusual orphanage. I mean, not that the Foundling Hospital was an orphanage, but... Um, yeah, the Queen's yeah. Gambit orphanage is another yeah. level yeah, of yeah, mad. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the Foundling Hospital wasn't quite that, but but yeah, people just had very different ideas about what childhood was and what children needed and, you know, what was right for them. And people weren't necessarily trying to be cruel. They were just, yeah, trying to do the right thing, but obviously cruelty can come out of that. But um yeah, and you're right about the history thing. I mean, even now, I still think of it as a sort of Victorian institution, but it clearly wasn't, and you know, it wasn't just a Victorian institution. So I think finding out a bit more about that history is going to be very exciting. Yeah, 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 definitely. And you know, like it was like Dickens was very involved with it, and Handel, and yeah, it was mm. um, very like bound up with um, sort of British high culture at the same time as taking in the you know abandoned children of very poor people so it's quite interesting in terms of class too um great well thank you so much lucy for letting me interview you and <laughs> my pleasure <laughs> um and we really are excited to have you host the second season and there'll be yeah more about that soon about when it's launching who we're interviewing all all to come so very much looking forward to it this season's been great so i think uh, i've got high hopes for the second season as well thank you so much Thank you so much, Lucy, for um, hosting our shelves. And thanks to everyone who's been listening. And we hope you'll tune in for season two as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Our Shelves is brought to you by the team at Virago Press. Tune in next time for more conversation about books, feminism and culture. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.